Welcome to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. We're so glad you're here. This season, we are gathering around the mics to share about the love of God poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit. You can find out more about our work on social media at Daughter St. Paul. Enjoy today's episode. Welcome back to Dare to Dwell, a podcast with the Daughters of St. Paul. I'm Sister Julie Benedicta. I'm Sister Oriane Pietra Renee. And today we're going to continue our journey through the Sanctifier. We're getting really close to the end of part one. And we're going to be looking at chapters 15 and 16 together Mm -hmm. uh, because they are called The Holy Spirit Leads Us to the Father and Union with the Loving Will of the Father. So we felt like those went together really well. So we're just going to do a combo this time. Super excited to dive into this one. Yeah, me too. In fact, like, okay, so honestly, it kind of feels like, and rightly so, a continuation of chapter 14. Right, which was that the Holy Spirit leads us to Jesus. Yeah. I I love how um, Father Martinez paired these, or I guess put all these chapters together in a row, because in the catechism, the way that the catechism actually pairs it is very similar. Mm-hmm. Um, they also, they do it in the reverse. Mm-hmm. They talk about the revelation of God as Trinity, and then the Father revealed by the Son, the Father and the Son revealed by the Spirit. <laughs> Which I love because the catechism really is following the creed, right? Yes, yes. Whereas Martinez is really kind of following a, an experiential kind of spiritual life, like spirituality sort of format. Exactly, yeah. So, so it's neat that they overlap but still have kind of their unique nuance and mm-hmm. way of going about it. Yeah. Yeah. So Martinez has a quote that. It's a little intense. <laughs> Wait, just one? <laughs> well, he has a lot of really intense quotes. Um, some of them are, are intense because you have to think about them for five hours before you actually understand what he's trying to say. Yes. Sometimes they're intense because it's a real challenge in there. Yeah. Um, or you feel it's like convicting, you know, like in a good way. Mm-hmm. Sometimes they're intense because it's like, whoa, that that was in your face. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But in a good way. And I think to me, this falls into the third category. So... He has a quote from the Song of Songs, which I thought Sister Benedict would be very happy about. <laughs> it is the first thing I have highlighted. Yes. Oh, good. Uh-huh. Okay. So he says, for this, or what am I saying? Therefore, charity is perfected when the soul is united to God and enters into the joy of the Lord. For this reason, Jesus prayed so earnestly that we would all be perfected in unity. And this is why the first and last aspiration of the soul in love is expressed in the first verse of the Song of Songs. And this is the verse. Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. So, in, that's intense. And then he goes on to explain the mouth of the Father is the Word. His kiss is the Holy Spirit. Through that mysterious kiss, the entire Trinity is communicated to the soul and the soul to the Trinity. So yeah. using, using a metaphor that a lot of people wouldn't necessarily feel comfortable mo- using, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But one that is used both in scripture and within the Catholic sphere for a very important reason, mm-hmm. right? It's very interesting to think, <laughs> like if you're going to step back and dissect the science of a kiss, like to kind of know, okay, there's there's a person, right, who's initiating. There's a person who is receiving. Both are active participants, right? And it means something. And I really like how this is a a spiritual parallel or or a metaphor into the spiritual life that we have from the physical life that we know as humans, right? That 
the father initiates this bond of love, right? This communication of love. The son delivers. Mm -hmm. And the Holy Spirit is what he is the gift, to use Martinez's words. And whether or not you think of this from the romantic terminology of the Song of Songs or in the vein of the father, right? A parent to a child or a child to a parent even, like we know that uh, um, from our own family experiences, that is such a beautiful and tender way and kind of like vulnerable and disarming way of understanding how the father reaches out to us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's so beautiful. I love this verse from the Song of Songs. Mm. And the first time I ever had it explained to me that adoration really means mouth to mouth. Right. Um, and and that when we go to Eucharistic adoration, that we are mouth to mouth with with the Lord. There's a few ways that we can talk about that, right? Like um, right. mouth to mouth, like when we receive communion, yes, we we receive Him in our mouth. Um, when we when we talk about like CPR or like life, like yeah, rescue saving. breaths, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Like that's a mouth to mouth thing. But then also the kiss, right? And there's something in each of those that there's something that's communicated, and there's something that's received, and there's something that's given. There's something about the tenderness. And the beauty and the intimacy of that image that just, I don't know, I feel like I could just sit with it forever. Um, I was trying to look up, okay, so St. Bernard writing about this, um, about this verse says, uh, <laughs> let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth. That he's, he's quoting the verse. And then he says, how should I explain so abrupt a beginning? This sudden eruption is from a speech in mid-course. For the words spring upon us as if indicating one speaker to whom another is replying as she demands a kiss, whoever she may be. (laughs) But if she asks for or demands a kiss from somebody, why does she distinctly and expressly say with the mouth? And like, Mm -hmm. and he goes on and it's really beautiful because ultimately what he comes to is, so Bernard goes on and he says, um, listen carefully here. The mouth which kisses signifies the word who assumes human nature. The flesh which is assumed is the recipient of the kiss. So that's all of humanity. Mm. The kiss, which is of both giver and receiver, is the person which is of both, the mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. And then he and then he says, Oh happy kiss, and wonder of amazing self-humbling, which is not a mere meeting of lips, but the union of God with man. The touch of lips signifies the bringing together of souls. And then he quotes um, from Ephesians. For he himself is our peace who made the two one. This was the kiss for which the holy men of old longed, more so because they foresaw the joy and exultation of finding their treasure in him and discovering all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge in him, and they longed to receive of his fullness. So that's Mm -hmm. what St. Bernard is seeing in this kiss, is this fullness of the reception of the joy and the union with God that is affected in the incarnation itself. Mm. Yeah, that's so interesting because I think to me, again, like I don't, <laughs> I don't really fall into like a girly girl category and I've always been a little bit squeamish about this type of imagery until I kind of matured a little bit more into it. But even, even then, sometimes there's some of it that I'm like, eh. But I think it's really important that we are challenged with that mm-hmm. for two reasons. Because I think one, It may expose some of our own biases that we carry with us from society. Yes. Honestly. Two, it can challenge us 
to welcome Jesus in in ways we have not before. Mm -hmm. It can challenge us to understand the action of the Holy Spirit in us in ways we have not before. And it can challenge us to understand how radical the Father's love is. And I think because we do, or at least certainly I have in the past, carried biases or baggage or whatever from my own experience of society through what I've been taught from society, how things are conceptualized, right, in society, it can be hard for me to think of those things in a way that is truly pure, Mm -hmm. you know, like pure love. Yeah. And it's always so special when you see, like, at a wedding, what is the moment? Like, nobody's clapping during the vows, even though <laughs> even though that really is the moment, right? The vows are the moment. Mm-hmm. But when do when does everyone clap and yell and whoop? It's when mm-hmm. the couple kisses, and there's nothing weird about it in that context. Everyone is happy to watch. Like, they don't feel <laughs> weird being watched. That is a moment of real, true purity in that mm-hmm. moment. And it's a time where, in a sense, a lot of the veils of our own baggage or sinfulness or misconceptions are just ripped away as the bride's veil is ripped away, right? For Mm -hmm. that kiss. It's a really beautiful moment when everyone joins together to celebrate that instead of being weirded out by it. Mm -hmm. And same thing goes with, you know, a mom with her little baby or a dad with his little baby. It's not weird for the baby to kiss a parent on the mouth. Again, there's like this understanding of purity of that little peck, (laughs) right? Mm -hmm. It's one of the cutest, most beautiful things. (laughs) Nobody's weirded out by it. And I think that we have so few examples of that left in our culture, of those moments where we can just see the thing for what it is and appreciate it for what it is. And that can make it difficult for us to really understand even the love of God, which which what does that tell us? It tells us that really it is an attack on our culture and on ourselves. But the more we're able to break down those barriers by recognizing the moments in our culture that still exist, Mm -hmm. where we can see those things and to say, oh my gosh, that's right. Yeah. Those are the moments that kind of challenge me and challenge us to understand just how pure that love of God is, why the bride in the Song of Songs can say, you know, my lover, my brother, why he can say, Mm -hmm. my bride, my sister, why God says to us that we are his children in every single sense of the word. Yeah, I think what you're pointing to is a really important point that whatever our relationship is to intimacy mm-hmm. and to our own bodiliness right. is going to affect our spirituality. Naturally. It's going to. And if we are uncomfortable with intimacy and our own bodiliness, like there's there's going to be something kind of in the way because our entire being is meant to participate in our relationship with God. Mm-hmm. Our entire being. He didn't give us bodies as an afterthought. You know? <laughs> you know like, what? I don't want these souls to look like angels. <laughs> I'm yeah. going to stick them in a <laughs> in a jar. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It wasn't like a plan B like <laughs> or, you know, like he, our bodies are part of our of what is being saved. Mm-hmm. Our bodies are a huge part of what yeah. is being saved. We are not ourselves without our bodies. Right. And our bodies will be raised on the last day. And so, and I think there's so much both in culture and in the church that gets misinterpreted or gets twisted or gets taken in the wrong direction. And it makes us, either we, we go in one of two directions. We, we either become so comfortable with 
with our bodiliness, with our sexuality, with with all of these parts of ourselves that we forget that virtue needs to be part of how they get used. Right. Or we go so far the other direction where we feel like everything about our body needs to be kind of suppressed mm-hmm. or um, or repressed or kind of put away or hidden and and that there's something bad or naughty or um, inappropriate about it. And neither of those things are true. The truth really lies somewhere in the middle. Yeah, I think that is such an important point because if we're going to talk about God as Father, He -hmm. has just as much Father of our souls as He is of our bodies Mm -hmm. and just as much Father of our bodies as He is of our souls. And I think because we're so, it's so easy to separate the two in our minds, like we are a soul with a body or we're a body with a soul. We've said this before on the podcast we as humans the definition means that mm-hmm. we are both right yeah we are a body soul composite we are not one with the other right regardless of whichever one you put first and at the moment where they separate which mm-hmm. happens for all of us that is death yeah punctuated by my snap of the microphone <laughs> so i think it's really important to remember if if we want to understand god as father of both our bodies and of our souls And what that means for the totality of who we are, Mm -hmm. right, in relation to how we are being led to him. Mm -hmm. The catechism is a great place to start. It is. Great fan of the catechism right here. So if you open up your catechisms and you go to paragraph 238, that is the same for everybody. It might be on different pages, but it's always the same paragraph. I'm pulling mine up. (laughs) 238. 238. They begin... By saying something very important, I think. Many religions invoke God as Father. So we need to understand why is it different for us, mm-hmm. right? Many religions invoke God as Father. The, the deity is often considered the Father of gods and of men, right? In Israel, so here we're getting into a little bit of nuance, God is called Father in as much as he is creator of the world, and even more, God is Father because of the covenant and the gift of the law to Israel, his firstborn son. And those are the words of God himself calling Israel his firstborn son. God is also called the father of the king of Israel. Most especially, he is the father of the poor, Mm. of the orphaned and the widowed who are under his loving protection. So we're starting to see facets of God's fatherhood here beyond being in charge. Which yeah. is, for, for the other phase of the time, that's what Father kind of referred to, being in charge. Okay, and 239 is my favorite. By calling God Father, the language of faith indicates two main things. That God is the first origin of everything and transcendent authority. And we talked about transcendence earlier. It's like that, that bigness, that thing that's everywhere, mm-hmm. right? And that he is at the same time goodness and loving care for all his children, God's parental tenderness can also be expressed by the image of motherhood, which emphasizes God's imminence, that, that intimacy, the intimacy between creator and creature, but just as, just as much so with fatherhood, right? Yeah. The language of faith thus draws on the human experience of parents who are in a way the first representatives of God for man. That's a huge deal, guys. <laughs> but... This experience also tells us that human parents are fallible and can disfigure the face of fatherhood and motherhood. We ought, therefore, to recall that God transcends the human distinction between the sexes. God, we're talking about the father here, 
is neither man nor woman. He is God. He also transcends human fatherhood and motherhood, although he is their origin and standard. No one is father as God is father. Yes. Yes. I think this is so important because in many cases, yeah, our parents are fallible, just as we are fallible. And, we, <laughs> and you know, if we are parents, if you guys are parents listening to this, you know you're fallible. <laughs> like, you've probably, no one makes you realize how fallible you are as your own children, right? <laughs> and there's a huge humility in that because we recognize that in a sense, we are kind of helping teach our children what God should be like or is like. But really, in reality, he is teaching us what we should be like, <laughs> right? He is showing us what we are called to yeah. when everything is fulfilled. And J.R.R. Tolkien, okay, I don't know if this is really J.R.R. Tolkien. I could be wrong. It was, I found it on Twitter. It's this beautiful quote, and it's from, it's tweeted by <laughs> J.R.R. Tolkien, who obviously is not really J.R.R. Tolkien. I don't understand why you're questioning it. You should believe everything you find on Twitter. I know. What can I say? I'm a skeptic. So the quote is, the link between father and son must have something of eternality about it. There is a place called heaven where the good here unfinished is completed and where the stories unwritten and the hopes unfulfilled are continued. We may laugh together yet. And I think that really is a beautiful prayer for all human parents to their children. Like, there's so much that we want to pass on, so much hope we want to give so many stories and so much laughter and we fail sometimes mm -hmm. but to know that there is a place where that work that good work that god has begun in us that we are striving to pass on to our children that will be completed and just as we are called home and our children are called home that is completed for all of us together yeah right and the only reason that's possible is because because god really is more father than any of us yeah in the same way that that we talked about before like we don't know who God is because we understand the definition of love and then we apply that to God. Right. We understand what love is because we come to know God right. and apply that to the definition of the word love. Exactly. That's the same thing with the word father. Mm -hmm. And Martinez really draws, draws in this chapter on the tenderness of God, the yes. tenderness of fatherhood. And he also mentions the tenderness of motherhood and how in many of our lives, it's easier to understand the tenderness of a mother than of a father. And that is why God does compare himself to a mother multiple times in the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. And we will often describe him as mother, but he asks to be called father. Mm -hmm. Jesus calls him father. Mm -hmm. And I think that's very significant. It is, yeah. Not only because it's what he's asked to be called, which obviously <laughs> is kind of important, right? Yeah. But also it reminds us, I think, of a lot of our own lacks. Because for, not for all of us, but for so many of us, that is the more broken relationship. That, mm -hmm. is, that is the one that tends to suffer the most, sometimes just because of society. Like mm -hmm. so many of us did have a dad who was working outside the home and a mom who was not. Not all of us did. Not all of us want that for our own families, but many of us did. And that puts an inherent distance mm -hmm. between our relationships with our father, even if nothing else is wrong, mm -hmm. right? Not saying that's wrong, but you know what I mean? Yeah. So if God is father, but he's not subject to that kind of like problem, we're talking about a God who's always there, a dad who's around, truly. Yeah, yeah. Just in the same way we were talking in the last episode about God's imminence and transcendence. Right. And he is both. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he can be at work 
but also be at home. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? And in fact, usually his work is at home. Mm-hmm. So I love, um, so just to go to like paragraph two of this chapter, <laughs> um, Martinez says there are three stages of divine love. First, the soul is possessed by the Holy Spirit. Then the soul is transformed into the word made flesh. And the soul rests in the bosom of the heavenly father. And he says that these are the three aspects of the same love, Mm -hmm. three forms of the same devotion, three depths of one abyss of life and happiness. There's that word abyss again. Abyss. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I love like, and it's also the word bosom again. Yep. And often they go together. And I just love that like, he's able to put it this way that there there are the three stages of divine love and and i don't think i think just like many other things that we talk about stages in i don't think he would say that they all have to happen like in this order necessarily right and probably we bounce between them and kind of get better <laughs> at one and yeah and then kind of go back to the other or whatever but this idea that the the soul being possessed by the holy spirit transformed into the word and then resting in the father yeah and like so much of that is active and so much of it is passive and so much of it requires like real concentrated energy and and effort and so much of it is just something that happens to us. Like all of our person is really encompassed in that process. Mm-hmm. And I love that he calls this three depths of one abyss mm-hmm. of life and happiness. Yeah, like this will never run out. Yeah. Yeah. Like I'm trying to find a, a visual for that. Three depths of one <laughs> abyss of life and happiness. And I yeah. think of like, I don't know, like, is it a, like a swimming pool and you kind of go from like the more shallow end to the to the deeper end and you're kind of getting into these different depths within the pool? I think it's more than that. I think it's like almost dimensions, like the height mm. and the width and the breadth, right? Like the. Yeah. That St. Paul talks about. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing yeah. the height and width and breadth of God's love. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's the abyss of life and happiness, like allowing ourselves to be submerged in this process and in, and in the persons of the Holy Trinity leads us to both life and happiness. Mm-hmm. And that's not like a cliche, like slap a f- smile on your face type happiness, right. but like in the depth of the core of our being. Mm-hmm. And that's something we long for. It is. When we're able to recognize a longing within us. That's a pretty good place to start asking God, like, why that's there and what it's pointing Mm -hmm. towards. Mm -hmm. Because for all of us, like, we can have longings or desires that are towards things that aren't good. But even in those circumstances, usually they started off as something that pointed us in the direction we were meant to be going. And somewhere along the line, from from whatever cause, it got twisted, Mm -hmm. right? And C.S. Lewis (laughs) once said, something to the effect of, I'm paraphrasing from my memory, that it's not because our passions are too strong that we sin or that we settle for things that aren't God, but because they're not strong enough. Like when our desires really are so strong that, you know, when water is is really, it, when water is strong, it may cut like a, a riverbed, right? It might, it might wind a little bit. But when, like the flow. When, like yeah, the flow. Of, yeah. When yeah. the flow of water is like strong, like strong enough. It may cut a winding riverbed, but when water is really strong, like really strong, it just powers forward. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like you think of a garden hose, like that is not getting diverted. You are getting diverted, <laughs> you know, if you get hit with a really strong hose. I think often our, our own longings are, or desires are like that too. Sometimes we think that they are stronger 
than they really are when they need to be stronger than they yeah. really are. And when we're able to find out where that really was intended to be flowing to the point where it just knocks out of the way all the obstacles, like it's always pointing back to the father. Yeah. Yeah. And I love that this is all like so mysterious. Mm hmm. Like all of it is like so completely mysterious and yep. we can't like we're wrapping some words around it, but they probably are making sense to some people and not making sense to other people because maybe some people have like a more similar spirituality to maybe right normal to maybe us or maybe other people have like just like a totally different spirituality. And that's like honestly perfect. Yes. <laughs> um, and I love Martina says we shall be sanctified fully when we get to the heart of the ineffable mystery. Mm. When our spiritual life becomes a solid devotion to the Father, to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, together. In other words, like probably not in this life, right? But like <laughs> we shall be sanctified fully when we get to the heart of the ineffable mystery. And as I was kind of praying with that phrase, ineffable mystery, all I could think of was St. John of the Cross talking about the nada, mm. right? He talks about the todo and the nada and like the, the all and the nothing, mm. which is like it's this sense of being so submerged in God that it is all, but it is also like there's nothing left to our senses. There's nothing left for us to like look at or comprehend because we're just completely subsumed into the mystery of God. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So like one of the one of the the quotes that kind of um starts to spell out some of this doctrine of the nada <laughs> of mm -hmm. of John of the Cross is he says, to arrive at being all, desire to be nothing. Mm. To come to the knowledge of all, desire the knowledge of nothing. To come to enjoy what you have not, you must go by a way in which you enjoy not. To come to the knowledge you have not, you must go by a way in which you know not. To come to the possession you have not, you must go by a way in which you possess not. To come to what you are not, you must go by a way in which you are not. Mm. And that's like kind of a brain bender. Yeah. But like when you really sit with it, you start to see that like he really is expressing the beauty of what it means to be kind of self-emptying and to allow God to fill us up and mm. to be the only thing left. And and to me, like this is the description of the abyss mm. that when we finally let go of needing to hold on to all of these things for ourselves. Right. That that's when God's able to step in and take charge and be the all in all. Mm -hmm. I really like how, I, I think that this dovetails very well with how um, Martinez, when he kind of goes back to that transformation in, into Christ point, um, in the book, it's on page 102, when he says there can be no transformation into Christ if one does not aspire to the Father and bear the very sentiments of Jesus in his heart. And we 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 hear how like, you know, Jesus did not deem equality with God something to be grasped at, but he emptied himself and took the form of a slave mm -hmm. like or servant, depending on your translation. And that idea that, you know, Jesus empties himself and yet in doing so <laughs> is really never more united with the father, mm -hmm. you know, because he's doing it at, at the will of the father and in the will of the father. And Martinez goes on to say, for is not the heart of Jesus one divine aspiration to the Father. Mm. And I'm just going to jump to the next chapter just to make a connection. 
on that on that union with the loving will of the Father that Martinez is bringing out in the chapter before, <laughs> and he pulls out that quote from the Gospel of Matthew when Jesus is um, he's preaching and there's this huge crowd and his mom and all of his brothers come to talk to him, right? And his brothers, who who we would probably call cousins or close relatives nowadays, um, they're all like talking about how he's gone crazy. He's lost his mind. <laughs> yeah. And they want to come talk to him. And they they come there and they're demanding to see him, him and Mary's with them. And some poor person got the job of like pushing through the crowd to get to Jesus to tell him, uh, your mom and your brothers are here. And what does he say? He kind of like start, stop, starts breaking things down and saying, okay, who who is my mother? Who, who are my brothers? Who are my sisters? He just turns it into a teaching opportunity instead of answering the, the question, mm-hmm. which I think he still does. And it can be very frustrating until you actually get mm-hmm. to the point. And then you realize exactly why he's doing that to you. And he says, whoever does the will of my father in heaven, he is my brother and sister and mother. What an interesting way to put things. Yeah. I love that he draws that out because it points back to being in union with the will of the Father in our own lives is something that's only made possible by the Holy Spirit forming Christ in us so that we are journeying journeying truly into the bosom of the Father. And that is where our filial bonds are truly struck. And to be able to say, I am the brother of Christ, mm-hmm. I am the sister of Christ. Yeah. Or if you want to take St. Um, Augustine's example about how when we bear Christ within us, we can we can consider ourselves, quote unquote, mothers of Christ, not in the sense that, you know, Mary was obviously, mm-hmm. but that we bring him with us, right? Yeah. If we want to take a look at that, that is a really bold claim. It is, yeah. But God the Father made that possible for us, and he wants he wants us to say it like those are those are the words that is the relationship that brings him the most joy when we finally like the prodigal son right recognize our sonship what it actually means come home Mm -hmm. are embraced by him or if we're that other brother kind of sticking around (laughs) half-heartedly realize truly what we've been called to what we've been gifted what his heart for us has been and say you know what I don't want anything other than this. This yeah. is everything. Yeah. Mm, I love that. And I love to like what you're pulling out and what Martinez pulls out. And it kind of, it goes together along with, uh, with that John of the Cross concept of, of in order to find what you have not, you have to go by a way that you, that you've never been. Right. Right. When Jesus says, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Mm-hmm. Like that's such yeah. a mystery. <laughs> That's such a mystery. Yeah. Right. And like, if we could get to the point that the will of the Father becomes what actually nourishes us. And for some of the saints, that has been actually true. Yes. There have been saints who have subsisted on no food except for the Eucharist. (laughs) Yes, there have been. That is not the norm. Yeah. We're probably not (laughs) called to that. No, (laughs) no. Uh, But. Our spiritual food, like the the food that nourishes us in all of these other different ways that we need to be nourished, if that were simply just to do the will of the Father, like that description that he gave earlier of 
Um, we shall be sanctified fully when we get to the heart of ineffable mystery, when our spiritual life becomes a solid devotion to the Father. Like, that's the, that's the same point, right? Mm-hmm. Like, that's being able to say, my food is to do the will of the Father, that there's nothing in my life that is more important to me or that sustains me more than doing the will of the Father. And I have a long way to go. <laughs> Don't we all? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And, and I think that's a really important thing to recognize about ourselves is to really be able to step back in honesty mm-hmm. and say where where we already really are growing in unity yeah. with that mm-hmm. and to recognize that and and celebrate that. And then also to recognize where are we falling short or where are those blind spots in us? And the thing is, we can't just like, we can't just like see those and say, ah, I shall now long to be unified to God's will in this. Like Martina says in, um, on page 114, which is again, a little bit ahead in, in the loving will of the father, the Holy Spirit alone can give us a share of Jesus hunger Mm -hmm. to do the will of God. Because yeah. this hunger is love, and all true love comes from infinite love, who is God. And it can't be abstracted. Nope. We don't love in the abstract, right? No. We have to love in the concrete. So in, if I want to grow in loving the will of the Father, mm-hmm. then I have to first begin to love the will of the Father in my current, present, most clear, right before my eyeballs. <laughs> yes experience yeah right and if i can't love the will of the father in this thing then how will i ever consider to love the will of the father in other things and it has to be a step-by-step little by little baby step by baby step process Mm -hmm. of coming to this deep trust and love and i think trust is like one of the biggest aspects of this because when we trust that the father is good and when we trust that the father is tender as he speaks about here And when we're able to have confidence and devotion and like a tenderness in our hearts toward the Father because we believe that he is going to do what is good for us, Mm -hmm. then the will of the Father becomes something a little easier to love even when it's difficult. Yeah. And I know we keep going back and saying this, but even that is only possible (laughs) because of the Holy Spirit. And if you get nothing else from this season, (laughs) please note we can make no progress without the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. By myself. I can do nothing. Yeah. And it's like, it, it's it's very humbling to be able to recognize that. And it can almost feel like an exercise in futility to be like, well, if I don't have it, it's because he's not doing anything. But in reality, in point of fact, even the recognition of our lack mm-hmm. is a prompt of the yeah. Holy Spirit to ask for that thing that we're lacking. and. A little bit later on in the same in the chapter, Loving the Love of the Father, Martinez repeats again, only the Holy Spirit can infuse in our hearts such passion for the divine will, for only he can bring us to know the Father mm-hmm. and teach us to love him by transforming us into Jesus. Therefore, the church prays in the Veni Creator, part of the Liturgy of the Pentecost, which usually we pray in Latin, that we may know the Father through thee. That is part of the reason, well, it's kind of the main reason that we're invoking the Holy Spirit or praying for him to come upon us at at Pentecost or stirring that up through that liturgical celebration of the gift we've already received in baptism and in confirmation, right? Mm -hmm. And to know that when we call on the Holy Spirit, 
he leaps at that. It's not like a begrudging, okay, yeah, you want to be more like the father. All right, where do we start? Mm. (laughs) Really, it's something he leaps at. This brings him joy. Jesus rejoiced in the Holy Spirit as he spoke to the father of our littleness. We see that in the Gospels. This is something that brings God joy. Yeah. How much more joy can we, you know, really ask to be able to participate in in those moments where we are at our lowest and our most humble and saying, God, make me more like you. Mm-hmm. Like, come in. There's room for you now. Like, mm-hmm. those are moments when we can truly rejoice in this gift that God rejoices in for us. Yeah. So it is super significant that we hear in scripture that the Holy Spirit prays within us, right? And When the disciples ask Jesus, Rabbi, teach us how to pray, Mm. right? How many of us have been in that situation where we're like, I don't don't even know. Like, I want to pray. I can't. (laughs) What do I do? What does Jesus respond with that in that that moment? He teaches them the Our Father. And I think that is so important for us to always go back to whether or not it's the, the exact thing we're being called to pray in a moment or not. Like, There is a reason that Jesus gave that as the response, a rote prayer. Yeah. As the response to that question of longing and of confusion, right? Always pointing back to the Father, to his will, to our 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 filial relationship with him, this dimension of heaven and earth that we're a part of. Yeah how he nourishes us, how he forgives us, how we are called to nourish and forgive in turn. And that ultimate call to belong with him forever, right? And to accept his salvation through us extended through Jesus Christ. And that is a prayer that I think we often take for granted because we memorized it and just started, you know, rattling it off to get through a rosary or to get through whatever. Right. There are very few things that we could possibly say that are more all-encompassing than the Our Father. Absolutely. And just as we've been talking about through this entire season, Mm -hmm. right? The Holy Spirit's goal is to make us into Jesus, Mm -hmm. to make us like him, to make us live like him. And nobody lived the Our Father better than Jesus. Amen. And I love this quote at the end of chapter 15. And he asks this question. He says, was there not in the soul of Jesus? A love for the Father intense and tender. A love that seems to throb in every page of the gospel that became a divine explosion on Calvary (laughs) and lives on victorious and immortal in the Eucharist. That's what we're called to imitate. That really is the life of a person really truly living what we pray in the Our Father. Mm -hmm. That is sanctifying his name, hallowed be thy name, sanctifying his name, giving him the glory, this tender love that calls him father and means everything that Jesus means behind that word father, right? Mm-hmm. This, um, as you were saying, like the forgiveness, like we forgive as and as we forgive is how we will be forgiven, right? Like that's really what he's pointing out to us. And how did Jesus forgive? <laughs> On the cross. Yeah with his entire being and then literally yeah 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 and then he lives on victorious and immortal in the eucharist Mm -hmm. which is in addition to the other things that we need to be sustained is our daily bread right and i just i love 
kind of how like I, I love that you went to the Our Father and that this quote was still sitting here, like, <laughs> and how well they kind of overlap, right? Like, and this this idea that this Jesus love for the Father seems to throb in every page of the gospel, right? It has a pulse; it's alive. It does, yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. And it like jumps off the page, and like not only that, but the times when Jesus says he. he he talks about how he longs to gather his people under him like a, like a hen gathers her chicks, right? Yes, yeah. He talks about, um, Father, that they may be in us as I am in you and you are in me. Mm-hmm. And um, he talks about wanting the disciples to behave in a particular way so that right. the Father can make his home in them. Yeah. Right? It's all to the end of union. Like, mm-hmm. that's his goal. He wants union. He wants union between God and and us. Mm-hmm. And he's going to do anything he can to make that happen. And that's really what the Holy Spirit's all about. That's what becoming like Jesus is for. That's the purpose of it. Right. And the more that we are able to live out of that, the more it'll become attractive to others. And then those people will also want to join in mm-hmm. to this union, which would be an answer to Jesus' prayer. So yeah. like, it's not just as I guess I'm a little bit afraid like some of this might sound a lot like just kind of me and Jesus, like me and the Father. Mm-hmm. Um, as long as as long as I love the Father, everything's good. But there's still the element of like we have to go out. We have to be bringing other people in because that's what being like Jesus means. Right. Yeah. Jesus reminds us that it is not the will of the Father that a single one be lost. Right. Yeah. And that we're being sent out. He, he always has all those parables where there's like a king who sends mm-hmm. his son who is a prince and like mm-hmm. the metaphor is not lost on us. <laughs> like, no. like we recognize that that it is always the father sending mm-hmm. laborers into the harvest. It is always the father who is yearning to call people back to him to come back home. And it was the father who made that covenant with Abraham, right? That's how we that's how we see the father and how we see the father at work and how he how we see him. As, as you were mentioning before, kind of defining love and defining home and belonging and, and our, our own identities. Yeah. So I feel like, honestly, you could just do a whole meditation by praying slowly through the Our Father and kind of letting the Holy Spirit point out whatever word or line it is that you're not quite living yet or you would like to live more fully. Mm-hmm. Whether it's like, Forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. We always like bring that into one line, right? But very rarely do we step back and remember as we forgive those, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Are we are we extending the forgiveness? Are we aware of what our trespasses are? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Are we aware? Have we accepted God's forgiveness of us, the Father's forgiveness of us? Mm-hmm. Because really... Between God and humanity, when that first covenant was struck, it was not God who broke the covenant. It was humanity who broke the covenant, and yet God still paid paid the price for breaking it mm-hmm. because we are one. Like He, He refused to let that separate us. He took on the price as though He was one of us. Yeah, in a sense, He sent His Son because He was because He wasn't just a contract, right? It wasn't just a contract. It was so much more it was than a covenant. That. Yeah. It was a covenant, and. I think the more we're able to pray the Our Father and understanding that this is a prayer of covenant between us and God, yeah, not a contract, not a deal, not a bargain, not, well, I'll do this end, you do that end, but of covenant and belonging, mm-hmm. the more solidity we have in our own place, our own identity, our own 
rootedness in love, the more we're able to love because we're free to. We don't feel like we're unmoored (laughs) in the ocean of life. Mm -hmm. And that frees us to welcome other people in. We're not going to sink. We're not going to float away, you know? Yeah, that sounds great. So is that our challenge? Sure. Or did you have more? No, let's do that as a challenge. Okay. Yeah. You are challenged, wonderful people, (laughs) (laughs) to do that thing that I just said. (laughs) Forgot what it was. Just skip back about 30 seconds. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. So maybe kind of as we close with the chaplet, we could include in a particular way uh, the intention of desiring God's will. Like, Holy Spirit, move in me so that I can desire the will of the Father and live it out more purely. Amen. So we'll begin in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. So the first decade is for the gift of wisdom. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of wisdom and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come and make your home in my heart. The second set is for the gift of understanding. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of understanding and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. The third set is for the gift of counsel. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of counsel, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of fortitude. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fortitude, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, 
Come make your home in my heart. For the gift of knowledge. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of knowledge, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of piety. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created. And you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit. Fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of piety, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. For the gift of fear of the Lord, come Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. Come, Holy Spirit, fill the hearts of your faithful with the gift of fear of the Lord, and enkindle in them the fire of your love. Send forth your Spirit, O Lord, and they shall be created, and you shall renew the face of the earth. O Holy Spirit, beloved of my soul, come make your home in my heart. By myself, I I can can do nothing, nothing, but with God I can do all things. For the love of God I want to do all things. To him honor and glory, to me the eternal reward. Holy Spirit, vivify me. Love of God, consume me. The way of truth, lead me. With your grace, empower me. You are the promised one sent by the Father, reminding us of all that Jesus' Master taught. I ask you for no other knowledge, no other wisdom, than that of Christ crucified, and that he may live in me. Thank you so much for listening. Dare to Dwell is a production of the Daughters of St. Paul, and is brought to you by our generous supporters on Patreon. For more information about our sisters or ministry, or to learn about how you can support us, visit connect.pauline.org slash Patreon. God bless you.